years to get to work alongside this woman. She just happens to be really good with kids, too. And so today, she's going to pour all of this anointing out on us. And so I am excited about that. Give a big welcome to our very own Miss Amy Tice. Good morning, everybody. It's really exciting to be up here today. Usually, I just get a chance to spend maybe five minutes up here, and I'm telling you about something happening in Kids World. So today, I get to talk to all of you. I'm very excited. You're getting some props together for me because, hey, it's All Generation Sunday, and the kids are in here, right? Hey, kids, good to see you this morning. <laughs> all right, so let's see. We have a bucket of fear. That's not good. Uh-oh. All right, so <clears throat> like I said, I'm excited to be up here. And I can just feel, you know, that adrenaline starting to rush, right? When I was a kid, I loved the rush of adrenaline. But as an adult, not so much, right? When I was a kid, I remember standing at the top of a hill with my roller skates on and, like, looking down and thinking, like, I didn't know even what that course had in front of me. But I knew I was going to go fast, and it was exciting, when I got down to the bottom of the hill, all my friends were already down there. They were shouting. They're like, Amy, Amy, turn, turn. And I was like, what? What's wrong? I wiped out. I had this scab down the side of my leg, like covered the whole thing. And I, I had it for like a week or two because I was young and like healed super fast. It was great. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so that could be reason why I don't like that rush of adrenaline as much. I don't know. Do we have any adrenaline junkies in here? Maybe like you like to skydive or mountain climb or go spelunking. I see a few hands, like maybe three. Okay, four. All right. Very cool. All right, that's not me, <laughs> but that's cool. Okay, so when I was growing up, I also really loved roller coasters. We have any roller coaster fans? People who love amusement parks? Yes! How many of you remember Astroworld here in the Houston area? I grew up going to Astroworld and I loved it. Oh my goodness, it was always exciting when we got to go to Astroworld. Do you all remember any of the rides at Astroworld? Who remembers? Yes. What? Breeze Lightning? Texas Cyclone? Yeah, like memories are, are stirring up, right? Astroworld closed in 2005, so oh man, if you're born after that, you missed out on a great time period in our area because Astroworld was wonderful, and I loved a lot of the rides. Um, I remember when the Batman ride opened, and it was so exciting. Yeah, I see. It, mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was this ride where you actually stood up instead of sitting down. It was like the coolest thing. That line was never less than three hours long, but we would stand in that line without cell phones, mind you. <laughs> and we, we were committed to riding that Batman ride. We loved it. I loved all the rides except one. There was one ride I did not love. And actually, Pastor Scott mentioned it, and it was Grease Lightning. Let's see. I think I got a picture up here. Here it is. All right, Grease Lightning. You know, it, see that big loop? The loop was not the problem. You see that part that goes way up in the corner? That was the problem part. <laughs> It was kind of shaped like this one, and then you go like that. So I remember getting on Grease Lightning for the first time, and I start going, and we go up and go over the loop, and we go up to this one end, and we're looking straight up at the sky, and that wasn't so bad, and then we came back around. We went through the loop backwards. Oh, man, that's cool, and then we came up on the other side, and I'm looking straight down like this. And, I mean, I'm looking down at my feet. I see the whole world beneath me, and it just didn't feel right. 
Not only that, my first ride, we got stuck right there. Only for four seconds, you know, really. But that's exactly how I felt. How you felt just then is how I felt. Because <laughs> in those long four seconds, I was sure that we were stuck for good. And I was already contemplating, like, how are they going to get us down? Like, are they going to send a helicopter? What is going to happen? <laughs> so from that time on, I, I just didn't really like Reese Lightning. My friends, they'd go, you know, want to go on that ride. I was like, can we just go on a different one? <laughs> but anyhow, lots of good memories from Astroworld. You didn't know that's what I was talking about this morning, did you? So there's actually, there was one more ride that I, I really liked, and it was the Looping Starship. And uh, I have a really good memory of the Looping Starship. Derek, not so much. So one of our first dates was at Astroworld. We were kind of trying to put together uh, how long ago this was and decided it was about 21 years ago. That was a while, a while ago. So uh, we, were, we were standing in line there at Ash well, actually, we were, we were just having the best time. We are having a really good time riding all these roller coasters. We were at one roller coaster, and we were standing there. As we're standing there, he's just talking to me, and he begins to reach over, and he has his finger out like this. I'm like, what is he doing? And then he, he proceeds, this is one of our first dates, mind you, to pick my nose. I had something in there, and he picks my nose. And I'm like, I don't know if I should be horrified or like, wow, this guy really cares for me. <laughs> like, I don't know. What do I, what do I say? So anyway, we go from there, go on a few more rides. Toward the end, I really wanted to go on the Looping Starship, of course. So I'm like, come on, Derek, let's go on the Looping Starship. He's like, no, I really don't want to ride that one. It's like, we'll be fine. It'll be just fine. Okay, I think we have, here's the Looping Starship. You know, this thing, this is swing back and forth. And eventually we go all the way up and then around like this. He didn't want to ride it, but I told him it was going to be okay. So he got on it with me, and he rode the looping starship. He hated it. He hated every moment of it, and he couldn't believe I made him get on it. I think broke a little trust with him that day. But our relationship survived, thankfully. Survived the ups and downs of all those roller coasters and Astroworld that day. Um, we even had our honeymoon at a theme park. We went to Dis Disney World. And I was just thinking, next year, we celebrate 20 years of marriage. I'm thinking theme park. What do you think, Derek? You give me a thumbs up. All right, that might be what we're doing. Okay, so as I got older, I developed this fear for heights. Such a fear that I didn't even like driving on the high bridges. Like, that 99, I like, right, you know, 45 going on to 99 right there. Getting better with it, guys, but that is a really high one. Okay, so that, even just like going up in the attic. I hated going up in the attic. And then, and then even getting on a ladder, I get to that third rung of the ladder. I would just start getting kind of dizzy and shaky. Um, that's not very high, right? <laughs> but I started developing this fear for heights. I certainly did not like roller coasters, but when my daughter, my eldest daughter turned 13, where did she want to go? but to an amusement park for her birthday. So I took her and her friend to amusement park, and they rode all the roller coasters, and I saw this one. And it was something like the Looping Starship, but it just didn't go all the way around. And so the whole time we were there, I'm kind of like taking a look at the coasters and thinking, I could probably do that one. You know, scared of heights, but I can probably, I can probably do that one. I used to ride the Looping Starship. So, so toward the end, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go on that ride. So I get on the ride, 
I mean, immediately I start screaming because as soon as we start rocking back and forth, I realize it's higher than it looked from when I was on the ground. <laughs> and so eventually we get a little higher and a little higher this way and a little higher. And at some point, here I am in this position. You know what that means? Flashback to Grease Lightning. I was sitting there looking down at my feet and the world beneath me. I had this major flashback. I mean, I am just screaming. I felt like my whole body was falling apart. Forget your stomach and your throat kind of thing. I just felt like I was breaking to a million little piece of pieces, like Thanos had snapped his fingers. I was <laughs> so thankfully, the ride came to a stop, checked myself, still in one piece. I was okay. And then I was like, you know what? It was actually kind of fun. It was actually kind of fun to get back on a roller coaster after all those years. And so um, I'm doing better now. I'm happy to report. Recently did some home projects. I got up to that fourth rung of the ladder, climbed it like a boss, guys. I mean, yep. <laughs> I found out there's a, a term for the fear of heights. It's called acrophobia. And uh, it kind of sounds a little bit like another fear that some people in my family have, which is arachnophobia, and uh, that's a fear of spiders. And so uh, Derek and my son Eli, if they see a spider, I can't tell you who has the shriller scream. <laughs> I have to go kill it for them. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, do you have any phobias? Is there anything that you are scared of? Um, or can you name some phobias? I always feel like there's some kid that knows like every phobia there ever was. Yeah, did you say claustrophobia? Good, claustrophobia. It's like a fear of confined spaces or crowded places, good. Okay, I know some of you, like your, your wheels are turning. Okay, I wrote down a few. Uh, hydrophobia, fear of water. This, this one is funny. Botanophobia, a fear of plants. I don't even know how that's possible, but apparently some people are a little bit nervous around plants, okay. And then this one, uh, pagonophobia, fear of beards. Apparently that's a thing. Okay, so I thought it was kind of funny. Phobia comes from the Greek, <laughs> from Greek, and the meaning is an excessive or irrational fear, horror, or aversion. Phobia literally means in Greek, panic, fear of something. Okay, so this panic fear, this is phobia. And so while I was looking up phobia, I found that there was a word that's a direct opposite in Greek from the word phobia. I want to test your skills on opposites this morning. I think you'll probably be good at this. So what is the opposite of push? Good. The opposite of night? Hot. Okay, we're getting a little harder. Minimum? All right, approximately? Oh, very good. You guys are really good at this. So the opposite of phobia is? Phaethon. Pastor Scott's over there trying to preach the message. Now be quiet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was thinking, okay, the opposite of phobia would be like courage or bravery or faith. That's good. In Greek, the opposite of phobia is philia. And this blew my mind because I knew what that word meant. The word philia means love. Wow. The opposite of phobia, fear, is philia, love. Wow. 
This reminds me of a scripture, perfect love casts out fear. In fact, I love that scripture, but the word casts, we don't, we don't use that very often unless we're fishing, right? We're casting out our fish, fishing line. So I was thinking, well, what's another word that would be an appropriate translation we could put in the place of cast? I thought throw or toss. Perfect love tosses out fear. I can't believe I made that. Okay. <laughs> so how do I toss that fear away from me. See, the problem is, it's not as easy as it sounds, because fear just seems to kind of get stuck to us. We don't want to be afraid. We don't want to have anxiety. But fear comes in uninvited, and it just won't leave sometimes. Don't you hate that? In this scripture, love is the key to getting rid of the fear. So what exactly is love? I overheard a conversation one time, and there was a young man who was really struggling with uh, how Christians always said love everybody. Because the only definition that he had in his mind of love was like a romantic kind of love. He's like, what does that mean anyway? And so someone else is trying to explain to him, well, like, love means more than just that, dude. You know, and it does. Like, I love my husband, and I love chocolate. And they are both really high up there. But I love them really differently. <laughs> Not the same kind of love, right? And the New, the New Testament was written in Greek. I mentioned Greek earlier. And there are actually several different words for love besides just philia. And if you've been a Christian for a minute, then you have heard of another word for love, and that's agape. Right? There's lots of teachings on agape love. And there is a distinction in the meaning between agape and philia. But we can also see instances in the New Testament where they're used interchangeably. So it's kind of curious. What is the difference? How are they used? Why is it important? So we're going to dig a little deeper. So philia was the most commonly used word for love in Greek. The Greek philosopher Plato is actually credited with defining philia. He defined it as a friendship where the two involved appreciate, they respect one another, they take pleasure in one another's company, they discuss philosoph uh, philosophic truths, and it was presented as the highest form of love, it was mutual, it was equal. This was Plato's definition of love. Okay, even in our current culture, we use the term platonic relationship. How many of you have heard that? Platonic relationship, that's a direct reference back to Plato, and it just means a friendship that is not romantic. Okay, so Plato defines love, and even in Jesus' time, 350 years later, they would have had that definition, because just like we still talk about Plato today, they were talking about Plato back then. Uh, the New Testament authors did use philia, but they more commonly used agape, and it's just, it really is very curious because we see, uh, we don't see agape used in other Greek texts, not very often. We have lots of examples. This, this right here is just for my history students. I have some homeschool students I teach in history. Listen to these names here. We have Homer's poems, the Iliad and the Odyssey, the tragedies and plays written by Sophocles and Euripides, the philosophies of Plato and Socrates, the scientific studies of Aristotle, the mathematical breakthroughs of Archimedes, 
and the historical records of Herodotus. These are many of the Greek, or some of the many Greek texts that we have. I'm just saying that for their benefit because, hey, we just finished Greek uh, and uh, ancient Greece, and I want to make sure that they, they hear these names, but that you guys can hear them too. Okay. All right, so all of these ancient Greek texts, the word philia used over and over, agape rarely used. Why is this? Okay. They, I think, um, I think these New Testament authors, they used agape over a hundred times, used it over and over again because they had to think, how do we declare this love like no one has ever known before? This love of God is greater than anyone has ever experienced. And philia just doesn't seem to cut it. Plato's definition just doesn't seem to cut it. Let's look then at love redefined in 1 John 4.10. So I think they're going to put this up on the screen here. And it says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Not that we loved God. Plato defined love as something that was mutual, but the love God showed us was actually rather one-sided, and it was in our favor. This is a different type of love. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This wasn't mutual love. It wasn't equal. We were sinners and Christ died for us. Why would anyone even do that? This is amazing, mind-blowing kind of love. You just need a better word for it. When Jesus went to the synagogue, um, he opened up a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, and he began to read. In Luke chapter 418, we see what he, he read. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This love, this love that we have, it frees people from fear and from the bondages of shame, and it releases people from the prison of addiction, and it heals brokenness. This is the kind of love that we're talking about. This is an amazing, powerful kind of love. Perfect love tosses out fear. The New Testament Christ followers, they needed a better word for this perfect love, and so they chose agape. Here's the meaning of agape. This is love for the other person's sake, goodwill, love without conditions, love that is selfless. When we begin to get a glimpse of God's selfless love, we realize we can put our trust in him, he cares for us so much that he laid down his life for you and for me. You know, if you went today and you stood before a judge for a crime that you committed, who is going to take your place, step in your place, and take your punishment? Do you have someone who would do that for you? 
Not too many of us do. But that's exactly what Christ did for every single one of us. He stepped in our place and took our punishment on himself. That's an incredible kind of love. While philia is the opposite of phobia, it's the agape, perfect, amazing, mind-blowing love of God that tosses out fear. That's the word that's used in perfect love. Ooh, that was close. Tosses out fear. Okay, so let's look at the rest of this scripture, actually. This is from 1 John 4.18, and there's more to this uh, perfect love that tosses out fear. And it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts or tosses out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what does that mean? Fear has to do with punishment. Well, we feel that sometimes ourselves. It's like, if I do this, then this will happen. And if I do that, then that will happen. And if I say the wrong thing, and if I, if I look stupid, or if I make the wrong choice, or if I mess up, it's all these questions and all these, these worries. Fear is afraid of consequences. And because we don't want bad consequences, fear often paralyzes us and keeps us from moving forward. But the love of God sets us free. The love of God says your worth is not based on what others think. Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. And then it talks about how they don't sow or reap. The Heavenly Father takes care of them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You have worth. The love of God says, I will help you make choices. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you shall go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. The love of God says, don't worry, I will take care of your needs. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The love of God says, if you are in a hard place and you don't know what to say, I'll give you words. Matthew 10.19 and 20, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So I want you to take a moment today and think about what fears you are facing. The fear that you had last year might not be a fear that you have now, but what is holding you back? What is keeping you frozen in place? What is keeping you, what is holding you there? What feels stuck that you just can't get past? Uh, kids, in your bags, you have a piece of paper, and that paper just has fear written across it. So you can take a moment, if you just want to write on there some things that you might be afraid of, or you can draw some pictures. And adults, you can do the same thing. You can write it down if you want to write it on your bulletin or put it in your phone. Or if you just want to make a mental note, what is it that causes you fear? Is it visiting your relatives during the holidays? <laughs> is it your boss at work? Or that coworker that just keeps talking to you and you wish they would just stop? <laughs> and you just try to avoid them? because you're kind of afraid they're going to catch you in the hallway. <laughs> what is it that causes you fear? Are you afraid for your children? Are you afraid for your parents? What is it? Okay. So as you think about that, I want to talk about Elijah. So recently in Kids World, we talked about the prophet Elijah, so some of this will sound familiar to you if you were in Kids World. All right, so he saw many miraculous things happen 
when he's a prophet. And so I'm actually going to ask you to count the miraculous things as we move along, okay? So see if you can catch them all. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 16. And so uh, there's a king of Israel. His name is Ahab. And the Bible says that he worshipped Baal, which was the god of his wife Jezebel. He set up an altar for Baal. And in verse 33 it says, And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Well, if you had read through 1 Kings, you would know that there were a lot of kings that did a lot of bad things. But Ahab was like the worst. He was the worst. Okay, so not only did he worship Baal himself, but he turned the hearts of the people of Israel from the one true God and turned them to, to worship false gods. So Elijah comes on the scene in chapter 17, and he declares a drought, saying, It shall not do, nor rain these years except at my word. And you know what? Sure enough, number one, he said it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. A drought began. The Lord tells Elijah, go to this brook over here and I'm going to provide for you. So Elijah goes to a little brook and the ravens come and they minister to him and they feed him every morning and every evening. They bring bread and meat. That's pretty cool, huh? There are some days I'm just so exhausted. I would love for a raven just to come and bring me a little dinner, you know, but never happens. It did for Elijah. He drank from the brook and he was provided for. I would say that's number two. So when the brook dries up, the Lord tells him, okay, now I want you to go to Sidon where there's a, a widow and she will provide for you. And so he goes to Sidon and he finds the widow and he's like, oh, I'd, I'd love something to eat. And she's like, dude, haven't you heard? There's been this drought. There's like a famine in the land. I, I imagine Elijah's kind of like, yeah, I've heard, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, kind of prophesied that. Verse 12, she says to him, As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So Elijah's like, don't fear. Go do what you've said. This just sounds kind of cruel. But then he says, make me something to eat first and then make yourself some. I would have stopped him right there and said, did you hear what I said? I have just a little bit to make my son and myself something. That, that's it. That's all I have. But she didn't stop him, and he continued. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on this land. And she, full of faith, actually goes and does what, she, what he asks. So this is number three. The flour and oil do not run out. Okay, so sometime later, so they're provided for not, not just Elijah, but the widow and her son, and they all have food to eat. But sometime later, her son becomes very ill, and he dies. And she comes to Elijah, and she's like, hey, what, what's this about? Did you come here so that, that my son could die? And, and she's really upset, and, and Elijah takes her son from her, and he takes him, and he prays for her son. And the widow's son is brought back to life. Another miraculous event. Okay, so chapter 18, moving along. Look how fast we're going. I mean, we've been two chapters already, guys. So God tells 
Elijah at this point, go back to Ahab. It's time to send some uh, rain back to the earth. And so Elijah goes back, and he, fi- he meets with Ahab, and he's like, hey, Ahab. Ahab's like, you, you have been troubling Israel. And Elijah looks right back at him and says, no, you are the one troubling Israel because you are the one who is worshiping the Baals. And remember now, Elijah has the upper hand because it still hasn't rained, and Ahab knows this. So Elijah tells him to do something. He says, gather all the people of Israel up on Mount Carmel, which sounds delicious, like from cloudy, with a chance of meatballs or something, Mount Carmel. Anyway, so they gather all of Israel, and he says, gather all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah too and bring them up. So they all go up to Mount Carmel, and uh, when they get there, Elijah, he looks at the people of Israel, and in verse 21, chapter 18, verse 21, he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if the Baal is God, follow him. And everyone is silent. No one wants to say anything. So Elijah proposes a challenge, and he says, Just give us two bulls, myself and the prophets of Baal. They can even choose their own bull, which one they want, whatever, Just have them laid on wood. Don't set a fire underneath it. In verse 24, he says, Then you call in the name of your gods, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people are like, cool, that sounds good to us. And so the prophets of Baal set up everything, and they call on Baal from morning until noon, and they dance, and nothing happens. So around lunchtime, Elijah's like, hey, nothing's happening. He begins to mock him. He's like, maybe you need to cry louder. And this, this is hilarious. But he, he tells him maybe he's busy or on a journey or sleeping. <laughs> you could just see him mocking, mocking the prophets of Baal. And so the people began to cry even louder. And with all their might, they tried to provoke their God to answer. But evening came. Verse 29 says, there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Now it's Elijah's turn, and he builds an altar with 12 stones, reminding the people of the 12 tribes of Israel and who they are, which reminds them who they belong to. He puts some wood on top, puts the bull there, and then he goes another step, and he digs a trench around it, and he tells the people, you know what? This isn't even good enough. Let's just pour some water on top. And he tells him to do it a second time. And he tells him to do it a third time. And by now, everything is drenched. The trench is full of water. Everything is just completely soaked. And he's like, now it's time. And he goes and he prays. Verse 38, 39. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Number five, fire from heaven. Uh, Then all the prophets of Baal are killed. And Elijah tells Ahab, now it's going to rain. So Elijah goes and he prays, Lord, please let it rain. And the little cloud begins to appear in the sky. And he tells Ahab, okay, hurry, hurry. Now it's about to happen. Run down to Jezreel. Take your chariot, prepare your chariot, and go down as fast as you can. See if you can beat the rain. 
And then the clouds turn black and the wind begins to blow and it begins to rain heavily. And then the Spirit of God comes on Elijah and he runs ahead to the entrance of Jezreel. He runs ahead of Ahab's chariot. He outruns a chariot, guys. This is incredible. I don't think anyone can really run that fast. It's amazing. Okay, so Ahab himself is amazed at everything that's happened, and he tells his wife Jezebel about it, and she is not so impressed. In fact, she is quite angry. And in verse uh, chapter 19 now, verse 2, she says, um, sends a messenger to Elijah. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the dead prophets of Baal, by tomorrow at this time. It's a death threat from Jezebel. Hey, but that's no problem, right? I mean, we have just read through how many? Seven. Seven miraculous events. This is not a problem for God, right? Elijah has nothing to be concerned about. But he actually, he gets scared and he runs away. That's his response. He ran a, a day's journey into the desert and he hides under a broom tree and while he's there, he tells God he's had enough, and he prays to die, and then he falls asleep. Well, obviously, Elijah had never played hide-and-seek. I think I have a picture of this, of a broom tree uh, that they'll put up here. And so this broom tree is really sparse, and basically, he's just a day's journey, not very far out. And he, under this broom tree, he's like saying, here I am. And uh, come find me. It's basically pointing him out. It's like the only shrub probably in the area. There's not much, not much out there. You know, how many of you have played hide and seek? You know, yeah, none of you? Gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> I know, I know you've all played hide and seek at some point. I still remember when I was a kid, my favorite hiding spot was my laundry hamper. I had this like little door in my bathroom that would open. So when my friends came over, I'd empty out all the dirty laundry and I'd climb in there. And as long as they didn't notice the uh, pile of laundry that suddenly appeared on the floor, I was, I was gold. <laughs> it was gold in that spot. Okay, Elijah, he was terrible at hiding. And that broom tree just pointed out, here I am. But God was so good to him. He first, God sends an angel. Angel of the Lord comes and wakes him up and tells, uh, gives him something to eat. God is our provision, right? He's our provision. He provided for Elijah. Elijah, he doesn't doesn't even seem very impressed, I guess because he'd been fed by ravens, and he just eats and falls back to sleep. So an angel comes another time and feeds him again, and this time says, the journey is too great for you, because he's about to go on a journey. But God is our strength, and in the strength of the food that the Lord brought to him, Elijah travels for 40 days and 40 nights and goes into a cave at Mount Horeb. How many of you think the cave was probably 40 days and 40 nights away? A cave was probably better than a day's journey under a broom tree. Yeah? Better hiding place? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay, that's a better spot. And God is our refuge. Mount Horeb was actually very important because it was also the place where God made a covenant with the Israelites it is the place, it's also called, called Mount Sinai, it's the place where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. And Elijah would have known this, and he would have been reminded of God's promises, because God is faithful. Okay, so the next morning, God tells Elijah, okay, wait for me. Stand at the entrance of the cave and wait for me. And so Elijah does that. 
And uh, I don't know how God speaks to him. And then, uh, okay, never mind. We'll, we'll, I won't share that. <laughs> My thought. Okay, this is what he says. Chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle voice, or you may have heard it as a still, small voice. Sometimes we think that we need something jolting to get us back on track, right? Haven't we felt that before? We just need something, maybe like knock the fear out of us. We just kick it, right? We want to, we just want something to wake us up. We just want a miracle. We need a sign, something, whatever, earthquake. <laughs> but Elijah, he had had all of these things. We counted seven miraculous events that had happened and still fear took hold of him and he ran away and he was scared somehow Elijah had lost his focus but he gained it back he gained a new perspective we need to remember our trust is not in the work of God our trust is not in the miracle of God our trust is in the person of God when Elijah heard the gentle whisper, that's when that, his perspective changed and he was freed from fear. Okay, so uh, last week, Pastor Scott gave us a really awesome challenge. It was 21 days of gratitude. He encouraged us to uh, write those down every day, just things that we were thankful for. If you haven't started, then start today and begin making that one degree turn because when you do, you begin to change your perspective just like Elijah's perspective was changed. Elijah, no doubt, when he stood on Mount Horeb, remembered the covenant that God had made to the Israelites. And I encourage you to remember your own Mount Horeb moments. These are the times that God has spoken to you. I tell you, he will do it again. This Remember when he provided, because he will do it again. Give thanks for yesterday, and give thanks for today, give thanks for this very moment, give thanks for the future, even though you don't know what it holds. And as you do, your focus will begin to shift away from your present circumstances and, and turn to the person of God, and your perspective will turn from fear into trust. Today, if you're sitting here and, and you would say, I'm experiencing just overwhelming anxiety, and I cannot shake it. I tell you, I want to encourage you, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Get help. Our journeys all look different, and that's okay. As you're on your journey, though, I want you to know this truth. There is such thing as freedom. Isn't that good news? Before Elijah tossed aside the fear, right, before he did that, he had to cope with fear, and God helped him. God fed him. God strengthened him. God gave him a place of shelter. Isn't that interesting? There are truly some helpful coping mechanisms for fear, like focusing on the positive, taking a walk, talking with a trusted friend, talking with a professional. 
But let me add that as you're on this journey of being free from whatever fear it is that you were thinking of earlier, to also seek after God. Seek after God. Read his word. Spend time in prayer. Worship him because he will minister to you just like he ministered to Elijah. And just like Elijah, he will set you free. Okay, so the love of God sets you free and sets you into motion. All right, I just think, think God is so good. He's so good how he does this. Okay, so after all, um, after Elijah is set free from fear, God still sends him on some other missions. And he still has stuff for Elijah to do. But after these missions, and Elijah is finished, you know what God does? He takes him in a fiery chariot, in a whirlwind up to heaven. Elijah, who sat under the broom tree wishing to die, never saw death. Isn't that awesome? God is so good. God is so good. Perfect love tosses out fear. Recently, I was talking with uh, Melissa, and um, she had shared with me this, the lyrics of the song that she wrote that Juliana sang this morning. Juliana, that just blessed my heart so much. It's beautiful, beautiful. And when she was telling me about that, I, I told her, you know what? God really set me free from fear. And uh, <laughs> I told her, I was like, you know what? You know how he did it? It was with his love. He really gave me an understanding of his love for me. And the, the nearer I drew to him and the more I realized I was valued, or valued by him, that love just covered my faults and I was set free. And then I was like, well, duh. Because perfect love tosses out fear, right? Duh, I know that scripture. Okay, so what kind of fear did I face? I'd like to share a little bit of my testimony with you this morning. For years, I struggled with relating to people. And I just, I always felt so awkward. Some of you may have feel, felt some of these things yourself. I always felt like a little out of the loop. Everyone would talk about sports or they would talk about uh, movies. And it was just stuff I was never interested in. I just always felt out of the loop. But now if you, do want to talk, if you want to talk about Jesus, I am there. I've got all kinds of things to say when it comes to Jesus. But all the other stuff, I don't know what to say about it. I don't know those actors and actresses. <laughs> I just never cared about it, right? I used to second guess everything I said. And then I would read too much into what other people said. I felt often like nobody liked me. And then when someone acted like they did like me, I would wonder why they even liked me. I felt like every time I opened my mouth, I put my foot in it. I was afraid to invite people to do things because they might say no. And when people invited me to do things, I was afraid to go because I didn't know like what we would do and what I would say and what if I ran out of words and huh. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I was working at a staffing agency, and I had a lot of calls that I had to make. Email was just sort of taking <laughs> flight at that time, and so mostly we contacted people, people via the phone. And man, I hated talking on the phone. I, I would like procrastinate. <laughs> I, would, I would wait to the end of the day to make any phone calls that I had to make. I did not like talking on the phone. I know some of you, don't like, you know, you'd rather text than, than talk, right? Oh, man, 
I hated talking on the phone. Over the years, I became more and more paralyzed by this fear. And as, as I built up, I, I was like I just built up more and more what-ifs, all of these uncertainties. Fear does that. It starts small. If you don't toss it out then, it just begins to multiply, kind of like a bad virus, <laughs> you know, just multiplies and multiplies and gets worse. And I didn't even realize how bad it was until one day I was at the grocery store and I was pushing my cart along and I kind of had my head down, as careful not to make eye contact with anyone. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't get past someone. So I was at my cart and I said, excuse me. That's what we say, right? We're in the store. But I didn't really say it. It was more like I whispered it. And even then, it was so quiet, it was almost like I just mouthed the words. And the other person looked at me kind of funny, and they kind of moved their cart. And I realized at that moment, I was so full of fear, I couldn't even say excuse me to somebody in the store. Some of you here who have known me for a long time have met that Amy. You remember a time maybe when I was quiet and nervous to talk and say things. But some of you who haven't known me as long, you might be surprised to hear that. And I hope you are, because it's a testimony of how God has set me free. <laughs> He's set me free. I'm not scared anymore. I'm not afraid to talk to people anymore. Gosh, I've been standing up here who knows how long. <laughs> wow, God is amazing, isn't he? Oh, he's so good. Wow, perfect love tosses out fear. Wow. Okay, this may seem a bit off topic, but, um, you know, I've mentioned hide and seek. Now it's time for freeze tag. Who, <laughs> who's played freeze tag? Let's see more hands. Come on. I know. Oh, there we go. There we go. You've played freeze tag before. You know how it works. Usually a couple of people are it. And they run around and they tag people. And when you're tagged, then you're frozen in place, right? But if you're not tagged, you get to keep running around, and you can run past someone who's frozen, and you can unfreeze them. Isn't that right? That's pretty much how it plays. It's really hard for the people who are it to, like, ever freeze everybody because always somebody is, like, out there running around and unfreezing, right? It's, it, eventually, the people who are it, they're just like, oh, I'm so tired. Can someone else just please be it, you know? <laughs> Anyhow, so freeze tag. Sometimes fear kind of is like freeze tag. Fear freezes you in place. It keeps you from doing the things you want to do. You become like a deer in headlights. You just, <laughs> you're frozen. A deer could just run along, right? But no, you don't. They just stand there. And fear kind of tends to do that to us. We could just run along, but it's like we just don't know it all of a sudden. We just get caught up in our minds. We're thinking about all this stuff. And we just get consumed by this fear. And it holds us. But here's the awesome thing. When the love of God unfreezes us, then we are able to set other people free. The love of God sets you free and sets you into motion. And that motion looks like loving others. So now when I'm at the grocery store, I make eye contact with everyone. And I say hello. And I have so many encounters with so many precious people. Um, just, just to name a couple of things that God has done. It, when COVID first started, there was a, 
an older woman in the pet food aisle, and we both had our masks on. We were both uncomfortable because that was like something new. <laughs> and she stood a little distance, and she just began talking to me. And she was telling me how scared she was and how alone she felt because the quarantine had begun and she couldn't see anybody. And I was able to just encourage her there in the pet food aisle of the grocery store. There's a lady at Walmart that I talk to every time I get a chance to check out in her lane. And we talk about her cat, Snap, Crackle, and Peanut. <laughs> and nearly every week, God gives me opportunities to connect with people while I'm out running errands. And I mean like full-length conversations. And I'm not sitting there just like bothering a bunch of people, trying to talk to everyone I see. People, other people are initiating these conversations with me. It's, it's kind of shocking, really. At Christmas time, I was at Marshall's, and the, the clerk who was checking me out, he was, uh, I always feel weird saying that. Derek, he wasn't checking me out. He was, he was just ringing up the stuff. It's okay. <laughs> so he began to tell me about he and his wife and his two boys, and his eldest has autism, and his youngest, two-year-old, was just diagnosed with autism as well. And he sat there and talked to me for a few minutes. And, and ladies, you know, this is Marshall's at Christmas time. That line is long. I don't know why he just decided, I'm going to open up to this lady as I scan her stuff. But he did, and I was able to encourage him. And I believe that was because God had that on the agenda for the day. And because God set me free, he sets me into motion to set other people free and to share his love with them. Just last Sunday, um, my daughter Melody and I were at Walmart. And uh, I noticed, uh, I was, we were both in the self-checkout line. She was actually um, at another register. She was purchasing some things on her own. And I noticed the clerk there, she was looking a little nervous. Well, there was also someone there with a, a service dog. And this was the biggest German shepherd I have ever seen. I mean, it was huge. And she told, she, I looked at her, asked her, like, how are you doing? She's like, okay. And then she said, I'm really scared of big dogs. <laughs> And she began to tell me, like, she asked me, like, what, what is a service dog? I had the impression she was maybe from another country and wasn't familiar with a service, what a service dog was, so I explained it to her. I just kind of told her, it's okay. Service dogs are amazing. They're so well-trained. And I told her a little bit about that. And we just talked for a minute. And I'm really slow with a self-checkout. I don't even know why I bother. I mean, it takes me forever. It'd be so much faster to just wait in line and have someone else check me out. But I was there, so I had a minute to talk to her. And then when I, when I walked away, I, I found Melody, and we were walking out. She said, Mom, did you know that lady? And I said, no, I didn't know her. But God has set me free. And what would have been so hard in the past is not hard now, just talking to someone, having a conversation. You know, when you are in fear, you might try to push through fear. And that can, that can be good. Sometimes you need to push through fears. But the really cool thing is that when God sets you free from fear, you don't even have to push anymore. It just becomes so easy. It's just not, like nothing. It's the most natural thing in the world when God sets you free. Isn't that cool? Okay, again, I do not have a naturally gregarious personality. I just set free. Praise the Lord. 
love of God. Perfect love. Oh, tosses out fear. I missed that one. <laughs> okay. So if we look at that perfect Perfect love tosses out fear, and we kind of keep reading. We'll see that we're also told to love others. However, that's probably best summed up by Jesus and the commandments that he gave us. Mark 12, 30 and 31 says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. I used to be so careful and measured when talking to people. And for someone who was already awkward, that made it even worse. <laughs> but what was it I was measuring against? I was measuring against so many uncertainties, all the what-ifs, what would they say, what if I offended them, what if they asked a question I couldn't answer, what if this, that, that. Now, love is my measuring stick. It's so much more simple. Is what I'm doing, is what I'm saying done out of love? I encourage you, let love be your measuring stick. Oh, man. Fear keeps you focusing on yourself. It keeps you focusing on your circumstances. But love sets you free to focus on the people around you. How you can be an encouragement and how you can love them selflessly like how God loves us. Because perfect love. Oh, man. Oh, I'm losing it, guys. Tosses out fear. That's all right. I'm on my last page. We're almost done here. So earlier I asked you to make a mental note of the fears that you've been facing. So kids, you might have written it down on a piece of paper. Adults, you might have typed it in your phone. The fears that you've been facing. I, I asked you to just close your eyes for just a second. I want you to think, what would freedom from your fear look like? I think we immediately picture escape. If we could just escape that difficult situation, you can open your eyes. Remember Elijah under the broom tree? He wanted to escape life itself. But that wasn't the answer that God had. Uh, God gave him a little breather at Mount Horeb. But Elijah would face King Ahab and Jezebel again. Escape is not the answer. Freedom comes from drawing nearer to God, from leaning in and learning to trust him, in the midst of your difficult situation. When you trust God, your perception to the situation shifts in light of his infinite love, the knowledge that he cares for you and provides for you and desires the best for you. God's perfect agape love tosses out fear. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, right now we bring to you all of those things that have been building up, the fears that we just can't seem to toss away. We thank you, Lord, for setting us free. We turn our focus, our attention over to you, and we trust you because of your amazing, agape, perfect love 
you truly do set us free, and we rejoice in you. Thank you, Lord, for your awesome, miracle-working power in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Scott is going to come up for just a moment, but when you leave today, I invite you to toss those fears, if you wrote them down, into a trash can. There's, there should be one by every door. Thank you. trying to tell us something today. Such a beautiful message, tossing out our fear. We're in a beautiful song about God's love makes us fearless. He can make us fearless, right? If we can't be totally fearless yet, you can start to fear less, right? Sometimes it's, it's, it's a journey I want to read that scripture in its entirety. First John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, tosses out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, when Amy had us close our eyes and she said, imagine what it would be like in that place where you don't have fear, where it's gone. I just imagine more of God's love. That's what's in its place. A recognition of the depth, of the immeasurability, of the grace-drenched love of God for you. Because fear has to do with punishment. God came to remove the punishment. God came to release you from punishment and offer you what? Total freedom. Total freedom. And so when we have any fear, what are we in? Are we in freedom or bondage? We're in bondage. And so it doesn't matter if it's a little thing or a great thing. Perfect love casts out fear. You don't have to be braver. You have to rest in the love of your good and victorious God. And he is faithful. We just got to release that to him. Instead of gripping onto that fear, open your hands to his love. And we're going to do that this week. I'm going to do that this week. There's some things I want to I want to rest in his love about. And I know that that turns that fear right into stone, makes it go away.